Turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 12. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Suggestions? Well, maybe it wasn't the Ten Suggestions, it was the Ten Commandments. Maybe that's what it was. Anybody here ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Let me see your hands. I'm not talking about the movie with uh, Charleston Heston, I'm talking about the, the, the book. The Ten Commandments were given by God to man. They demanded righteousness, perfection. To break the law was death. So along with the law that he gave, he gave him instructions on how to make sacrifices. Some innocent little animal had to pay for the sins of what people do. Something had to die in the place. It never took away their sins. It just covered their sins for a while until a payment was to be made. Now, I want you to know that there is a portion of Scripture that causes no small stir. It's caused a lot of trouble over the years. It's found right here in the book of Matthew chapter 12. So I want you to look at the Scripture, and I'll, I'll read it, and I want you to kind of follow along with me. In verse 22, there was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed. It says, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by, the, by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Who, therefore, in verse 31, I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoso speaketh against the Holy Ghost... It shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Pretty strong words. I've often had people who will call up on the phone, or they'll read an article by Dr. Hank Lindstrom on the Internet, call me up and ask me to explain what Dr. Hank Lindstrom meant. I've had that quite a few times. I told him, I said, call Hank. <laughs> but this is a very interesting portion of Scripture. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Ghost? Because if it's a sin that cannot be forgiven in this world, nor in the world to come, it must be a pretty serious thing. 
And I thought when Christ died on the cross, He died and paid for all the sins of the world. So why can't you get forgiveness for this sin? So something doesn't look exactly right. Maybe there's a, a hidden meaning in here somewhere. And I have an inquiring mind, and I, and I want to know. And is there a way of knowing what He really meant when He says all of this? Well, I believe there is, and I'm going to try to explain it to you. You may not agree with my explanation of this particular passage, but the other parts of what I want to talk to you about is very, very important. And I hope that you heed it. Number one point that I wanted to bring out was the Ten Commandments were not ten suggestions. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 3. Romans in chapter 3. So when you come to the book of Romans in chapter 3, he's already spent the first two chapters explaining how that all the Gentiles are lost. And even though he gave them a conscience because of the world in which they can see and make decisions, because even a lost man can judge of something being right or wrong. And you can accuse or excuse what somebody does. It means that you have a conscience of some morality, of a moral law. Whether you knew the law or you didn't know the Ten Commandments or the Bible, you have built within you a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Now generally, down the road, you may educate yourself to be quite smart and intelligent, where you no longer believe all of those things that you were born with and knew from the beginning. But God says you're held accountable. We are sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. We choose to sin. We choose to be rebellious. We are, in a sense, rebellious toward God. Now, here in Romans in chapter 3, if you'll notice there in verse 10, as it is written, that means in the Old Testament, there is none righteous, no, not one. How do we know that? Because God gave the righteous law, and nobody has ever kept it. Nobody has ever fulfilled the law. Because, you see, the wages of sin is death. If you did not sin, you would not die. Everybody has died, except us in our generation. But all previous, they're all dead. Why? Because they all sinned. So all have sinned and come short of God's perfection. Then it says here in verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, all the world may become guilty before God. So everyone is under the law, everyone is guilty, everyone is condemned. So therefore, he says in uh, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, because nobody can keep it. So nobody can earn their righteousness or earn their way to heaven by their good deeds, because God says they have no good deeds. Everybody has sinned and come short of God's perfection. That's why in verse 23, all have sinned and come short of God's glory, short of God's perfection. Everybody, the whole world. So we're all in the same boat. So now, nobody can save themselves. Now, see, when you mention the law, the first four was between the man and God. 
You know, like the first one, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. So the first four is about you and God. Okay, you broke all of those. The last six deals with how you do with other people. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we did. We broke all of them. But God says, you can break those laws against me. I can forgive that. All those laws that you broke against yourself and others, God can forgive that. Christ came into the world and died on the cross and paid for all of our sins so that we can get forgiven. But that was the law that condemned us. But there's something else that's greater than all the law. And something that has a worse penalty to it than failing to keep all the law. And that is not to obey the last law that he gave. The greatest commandment of all. That's greater than the Ten Commandments. Even though it talks about God and man, there's something that's more important than all of that. Because God can forgive you all of that. But there's something that he will not forgive you of. You say, well, what is that? Well, just wait a minute. I'm, I'm getting to it. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 17. Acts in chapter 17. The Greeks were known for their fool philosophers. A fool philosopher is somebody who has the design on the love of life. What is life all about? And you'll have some philosophers telling you what life is all about. No, God's Word tells you what life is all about. It tells us where we came from. tells us what we're doing. It tells us where we're going. And what He says is the truth. And there's all kinds of people that don't believe what God says. And they have their own philosophy of what life is about. And some people believe there is a God. And some people believe there is no God. And so whatever you do believe, you have a philosophy that governs how you live life based upon what you believe. So you live the way you believe. What is your philosophy of life? What determines why you do what you do? Well, here in Athens, they had all these gods with something to worship everybody's belief because they didn't want to make anybody mad. So worship every god there is. And then they even had a statue to um, an unknown god in case they missed somebody. When Paul went there on Mars Hill and he spoke, he said, I want to talk to you about this unknown god. The one you don't know about. The one that made heavens and the earth. The one that made mankind. So he says there in verse 23, For as I passed by, and beheld your devotions or your images of worship. He said, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. You ignorantly worship. Did you know all the religions in the world is ignorant worship? It's ignorant worship. And the reason they do it, because they don't know the truth. If you know the truth, you don't have to have any little images or any little idols. You don't have to have none of that. You don't have to go to mass and have confession and tell the, some priest about your problem. You don't have to do that. Why? But that's because people are 
ignorant of truth, ignorantly worshiping something they don't understand. Because when you know the truth, truth sets you free of all the man-made religions there are. And the world is full of them. But what is this bad thing? What is this one thing that's worse than breaking all the laws? Well, if you get down through here, I'll show you a couple of things. But he makes a statement in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God's the one that does the giving. That's why we don't try to get people, will you give them your heart, your lung, your liver, your life, or whatever? No, God wants to give you and I something. He wants to give us something. He's the giver of life. And people fail to see. And so all religions is about people giving something to God. I'm going to give him my money. I'm going to give him my time. I'll give him my treasure. I'll give him this. I'll give him that. I'll give him my whole life. I'll sacrifice. I'll do this and do that. No, you don't get it. That's religion. It will not save you. It will not help you get your little pinkies one inch closer to the pearly gates. So he says here in verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Talking about finding the true God. Did you know there's a God in heaven that wants to, you to know him? But he wants you to know him more than your desire to want to know him. God so loved the world. And he's reached out to us. But people reject him and don't want him, won't listen. He says in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. That means we're in his image. Verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring, the race of man, we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold and silver and stone or graven by art and man's devices. This would eliminate a lot of people's religion if they only just read the Bible. And verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, he had only his word in the Old Testament. But now we have the evidence that it's all true. We have a risen Savior. They had the promise of something that was going to take place. But now he's here. The resurrection is the evidence. When he makes this statement, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That means that God has commanded the disciples, they were commanded after the resurrection to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If God has commanded his apostles to preach the gospel, he hath commanded all those who hear the gospel to obey the gospel. The gospel has to be obeyed. That does not mean works for salvation because, you see, he gave all these laws and they failed every one of them. They were disobedient, rebelled, didn't keep them, failed. So God's not asking them now to live a certain way because the law 
didn't accomplish that goal. He has now commanded his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of eternal life by faith alone without works. This is something you can do. You couldn't do this. You can do this. You see, the command was to preach the gospel. As people heard the gospel, they are commanded to believe the gospel. It's not like it's an option. Well, if I don't do it, no big deal. No, there's consequences, grave consequences, to a person who does not believe the truth about what Christ did on the cross for us. He came into the world to die to pay for our sins because we could not keep the law. We failed in keeping the law. We don't live the way we should. So God's not asking us to do that, to be saved or to be righteous or to be justified. He's given to us a message that if we hear it and simply believe it, we can be justified by faith for which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law could not save you, could not declare you righteous. It was a curse because no man could keep it. So God has commanded every man to repent, change your mind. You cannot earn your salvation. Change your mind and simply believe. It's by grace. It's not by your works. So to believe is a command from God. We're commanded to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you disobey that command, I believe there's bad news for you. There is no forgiveness for rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will not have forgiveness for all eternity. It can never happen. You've only got a few choice moments in life. The other day I, I was talking to this girl in a parking lot. I says, ma'am, I says, I want to ask you a question. I says, the odds are you don't know the answer. The odds are you have never heard the truth about how to go to heaven. I says, where are you going to go when you die? She says, not sure. Because she hemmed and hawed a little bit. She wouldn't just come right out and say she didn't know. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 24 years old. I said, 24 years old. I said, do you realize for 24 years that you've lived your life, nobody has ever told you the truth about how to go to heaven. Because if you have heard the truth, it makes so much sense. It's few people that will ever reject it when they really understand it. What people have rejected is not the truth of the gospel. It's the lies told about the gospel. Things that people add to it. I said, I lived 71 years. And I've only had one person ever tell me the truth about how to go to heaven. One person in 71 years. Do you realize the odds against me ever hearing the truth of the gospel? How slim it was. 
if that one man had missed me at that one time in my life, I've never had anybody ever tell me about the truth of the gospel. You know, these things are not important until you get ready to die. Then it's very important. We got a call this week from my daughter. And she asked, mentioned some kid's name. And I almost had forgot about it, but after thinking about it, I, I remember that when I was running ranch, I had my granddaughter and my grandson, they would come to ranch. And they had a, a friend of theirs, this young boy. He was like brilliant. He was smart. He was almost so smart he didn't have any common sense, but he was just smart. And anyway, he had to have somebody give him a ride home that night. And I usually have a lot of things to do, and I don't want to obligate myself because it keeps me from doing something else. So, but I said, I, I'll take him home. And so when I had taken him home in the car, and Betty was with me, and we went by his house, big, beautiful home. And so he's uh, like a, a little rich kid, smart kid. But I talked to him, and I believe he trusted Christ as Savior because he wanted me to find a time when I might come back and talk to his dad. He was concerned about his dad. But anyway, after that, I stopped running the ranch. Somebody else did it, and, and, and I never remember seeing the kid again. This week, he called up my grandson, and he says he's going to do a, a little hunting because it's hunting season almost, and he just wanted to go out and do some checking, some stuff, so he takes some guns with him. And he talked to my grandson, and he left. And they didn't see him for two days. And finally they found his body. Somebody had shot him and took the gun that he had taken, and also a, a laptop or something. So my granddaughter and my grandson were really torn up because they knew this boy. They knew him well. And it's never hit so close to home before. You see, none of it ever hits home till it hits home. When it's close to you. When you really think about where are they going to spend eternity. And it was a little comfort to both of my grandkids when I shared with them that, that I had talked to them about the Lord. See, sometimes people don't think that's that important. Did you realize how important it really is? And the odds are against somebody ever hearing the truth of the gospel. You that know it, you're talking to people every day. The odds are against them ever hearing the gospel in their whole life. The truth. I'm not talking about they're religious. They go to church, but they don't know where they're going when they die. Then they don't get it. This is why it's so important. He made this statement in verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Our assurance is because Jesus came back from the dead. That means the payment he made is paid for. It was accepted. It means that Jesus was who he claimed to be and did what he said he would do. And God is taking it very seriously about the responsibility that he's given to us to preach the gospel. And if we preach the gospel, it is a command by every individual to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. And notice this is a portion of Scripture that's written about 700 years before Jesus Christ came. And he says, as he writes this report, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been revealed, and who's going to believe it? For he shall grow before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He'll be despised and rejected of men. And yet it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Yet he hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody has failed to keep the law. We've all sinned. We're all condemned. We're under the curse. And so Jesus Christ did something about it. And you can break all of those laws and God will forgive you. You can even curse God and God will forgive you. You can curse the Son. I hear people cursing Jesus Christ all the time, using His name in a curse word. God can forgive them of that. But you see, the sin of unbelief, God won't forgive. When Jesus had done some of those miracles that He did, some people believed, is not this the Son of God? And some said, He does it by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus says, everything that I've done is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God is why he did what he did and said what he said. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to man his need of Christ. But here he says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Because God is going to hold every person who's heard the report, especially accountable to whom it was revealed. Now take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 10. The book of Romans in chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look there in verse 11. Verse 11 is a reference to the Old Testament. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. In other words, you're not going to be ashamed that you trusted Christ as Savior. One of the days, we'll all be in heaven. Here you may be ashamed of Christ, ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of what you believe, but one day you won't be. But it also talks about you shall not be confused. When you trust Christ as Savior, you know what you're getting. If I'm trusting Him, I'm getting something. He that believeth on me hath, present tense right now, hath everlasting life. Do you believe it? You have something. You have everlasting life. It means to have it right now. So, when I trusted Christ as my Savior 53 years ago, I know in whom I have believed. And am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I have the saving of my soul in His hands. And He'll never cast me out, never lose me. I'm going to heaven whenever I die. I can't go to hell today and I can't go to hell tomorrow. Because I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of them. And he says here in verse 11, For the scripture saith, Who hath believed on him shall not be ashamed. 
For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Or how many laws you broke, how sinful you are. What God can do for one, He can do for anybody. So He says here in verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring glad tidings of good things. This is what God says. Regardless of how bad people are, all the Jews and all the Gentiles, the ones that please God, the one that is really a blessing to God, are those who have pretty feet. When you go home tonight, I want you to take your shoes off and look at your feet. It says, are oh, those pretty feet? <laughs> Blessed are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Those are the prettiest feet in the world. Somebody who goes, somebody who cares, because the world can't save themselves. They can't tell you, hey, I'm in this religion and they're not tre- preaching the truth. They don't know what truth is or they wouldn't be there. So he says in verse 16, as he refers to an Old Testament quote, For they have not all obeyed the gospel. What does it mean to obey the gospel? It means to believe the gospel. You see, God had given the law and nobody obeyed the law. But God can forgive you of all those if you will do one simple thing. Believe that Christ paid your sin debt. And when you believe that, you have obeyed the gospel. You believed it. God hath commanded every man... To repent. See that you can't save yourself by your works. And you trust Christ by grace alone. So it didn't matter if he was talking to the down and outers in Israel. Or he's talking to the the Pharisees. Because of how pollutant they may be. And important they may be. All have sinned and come short of God's perfection. And so he gave us this wonderful message. The good news on how a man can be saved. And if you die in this life and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, the sin of unbelief, and you may be in the sin of unbelief, He can't forgive it. The only way you can do away with the sin of unbelief is to believe. But if you don't believe it, then you didn't obey the gospel. Obeying the gospel is not you earning your way to heaven. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Believing on Christ is not a work. The law was work. Salvation by grace is free. And all God wanted you to do is one thing that you could do, is believe it. Because this is something I can do. This is something you can do. When I explained the gospel to that girl that day, I says, this is something you can do. I said, will you do it? She said, yes, I will. I said, will you trust Christ right now as your Savior? She said, yes, I will. I said, when you get a chance to, I says, says, you got a boyfriend? She said, I got a boyfriend. I said, you tell him. I don't know if she ever would have not. But two days later, I met her again. And she had her boyfriend with her. And I asked her to the side. I says, did you tell him? She said, yes, I did. She says, Would you see if he really understands it? I said, yes, I will. So I walked over and I said, look, a couple days ago I explained something to her. She said she explained it to you. 
I said, did she? She said, yes, she did. I said, where are you going to go tonight? She said, I'm going to heaven. I said, anything you can do to keep you from going to heaven? Well, not real sure. So I explained a little bit more. But she, I led her to the Lord. That same day she led her boyfriend to the Lord. Do you realize the odds are against that if I hadn't shared the gospel with her, chances are she would never hear the gospel. Because most people don't share the gospel. Most people in most churches never tell people how to have eternal life. You say you can't do it. Yes, you can. People don't do it. They won't do it. She had just heard it and shared it with her boyfriend, and he trusts the Lord the same day. And yet you have some godly Christians that have been living for 20, 30, 40 years, never have talked to anybody about the Lord. Do you think God's going to hold God's children accountable when it's commanded to do it? And it means their eternal destination. Majority of people living today that know Christ as Savior don't care whether people go to heaven or hell as long as they know they're going. And they don't want to be preached to and they don't want to be challenged. But this is who I am and this is what I do. I don't want people going to hell. I just realized the odds of me ever hearing the gospel was so slim. And most people, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior... You are a miracle. It's a miracle anybody ever explained it to you. But when you go back here and you look at this, he says in verse 16, For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed. So the command of the gospel is to believe the message. And when you believe it, you have as a free gift everlasting life. And that will do for you what all the law could not do. Nobody can save themselves. That's why it's so important. Turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 very quickly. 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to notice that in chapter 2 it's talking about as a newborn babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See, you may trust Christ as Savior, but you don't grow. You can't grow outside of the word of God. So you hear the word of God and you grow. And so he says here in verse 2, As newborn babes, he desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Isn't that wonderful? He's gracious. And then he also says here in verse 4, to whom coming as unto a stone, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Chosen and precious. Chosen and precious. That's a reference to the Lord. He's chosen. He's precious. God chose him to be the Savior of the world. And because he did what he did, he's precious. And look what he says there in uh, verse... Six. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, or not believing, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner. So those who do believe are living stones. You're precious. And you, in verse 9, 
But ye are a chosen generation. You're chosen. You see, God has chosen to save all of those who will believe on the one God chose to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He came into this world and died on that cross to pay for our sins because there was no hope for man. Man could not earn eternal life. The law condemned everybody. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's perfect. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1. And look there in verse 7. Does God care whether or not you believe or you don't believe it? This is the result. If you do not accept this payment Christ made for you, you will be condemned for all eternity in a literal fire-burning hell. That's how serious God takes this. Look what he says in verse 7. And to you who are troubled with us, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them, vengeance on them that know not God. God's going to take vengeance upon those people that do not know God. And give what else he said? That obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just, you know, well, it's an option. You know, you don't have to. I mean, there are consequences of this stuff. Yes, there is a consequence. And yes, people are commanded we're commanded to preach it, and people are commanded to believe it. And if they don't believe it, this is the consequence. It says there in verse 9, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power? He's coming back one day. And people who have not trusted Christ as their Savior, is there a price to pay? Yes, there is. It's not because of all their sins that they've done. That's been paid for. It's this one sin of unbelief. A man's not going to hell to pay for his sins. It's because he refuses to believe in the one who paid for his sins. Christ isn't coming down today or tomorrow to pay for my sins. He already has. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. It's so important. But some people refuse to believe it. Look what he says here. You're right here in Second, but look in chapter 2. Look in chapter 2 and look in verse 11. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, the truth is the gospel. The love is how God feels about the lost man. Did you know that God so loved the world? He gave His only begotten Son. That's the truth. But if you reject the truth, you're rejecting the love of God. Jesus Christ was His love child. His love. When you reject Christ, you're rejecting the love of God, and you'll not have it for all eternity. Jesus Christ is the slub child. And the truth of the gospel, why are they going to be tormented for all eternity? 
Not because their sins haven't been paid. They've been paid. But they reject the payment Christ made. We have the responsibility as God's children to preach the gospel. This is why the internet is so important. This is why Awana is so important. I talked to a couple kids, the, uh, ladies the other day that James had led to the Lord because of Awana program. And listened to their testimonies and it just, just blesses my little pee-picking heart. When I talked to Jesse the other night, they went out soul winning a couple weeks ago and they had about 63 or something like that to trust in Christ as Savior. And then the following week, I don't remember how many they had. And then this last Friday night, I think they said they had about 30, 37, trust the Lord. Now, do you realize if they hadn't have gone, those people would not have been saved anyway. That's Calvinist talking. That's a fatalistic teaching and predestination. We don't believe that because the Bible doesn't teach that. It's a miracle that anybody ever talks to anybody about the Lord. And so it's the only way anybody can be saved. But look what it says here in the last part of verse 10. Receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And look in verse 12. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth. Because they would not believe the truth. And what is this truth? I'm glad you asked. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? The Bible says in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit, when He has come, will reveal and reveal to sin, righteousness, judgment. Sin because they don't believe on Him. Righteousness because you need to be righteous. Judgment because you're going to be judged. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals these things to individuals as we preach the gospel. And if you rebel against what the truth of the gospel is, there's no forgiveness for that. You can't, well, after I'm dead, and okay, whenever we stand at the great white throne judgment, I'll put a tear in my eye, and I'll say, well, I didn't understand. And God says, yes, you did, and you didn't trust him, and you, it's hell. There will be no mercy. Today, there's mercy. You don't have to go to hell. You deserve it. I do too. But I don't have to go to hell. By grace are you saved through faith. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. This is you and me. The water represents sin. We all have sin in us. Now God says He loves us, hates our sin. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. Since we've all sinned, we're all condemned. But you see, God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. So God sent the law to reveal us how bad we really are. And we can't save ourselves by our good deeds. So Jesus Christ, this hand represents Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh, came into the world. Why? Because He loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from God. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, took all of our, paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead. The worst thing you can do is not breaking all those laws. The worst thing you'll ever do, anybody, is to reject this payment. To reject the love of God. To reject the truth of the gospel by not believing this message because, see, there's no tricks to this message. You don't have to join this church. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to promise you're going to stop anything or join anything. All you have to do is be honest. Maybe for the first time in your life, just be honest. I'm a sinner. But I believe that when Christ died, he paid for my sins. And I believe he did it for me. 
and I'm going to go to heaven. That's worth telling people about. That's the truth of the gospel. It's free, and it lasts forever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When's the last time you ever talked to anybody about their soul? Or do you even care? I want you to be a soul winner. Because you love the Lord and you love the message. And there is no other way. There's no other hope. And if we don't reach people, majority of people will never be reached. They'll never be reached. They'll never hear the truth. That's why what we have and what we're doing is so important. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning and maybe you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. Friend, I'm not asking you to stop or join anything. I'm not trying to get you to be religious. I just want you to admit what you are, just like the rest of us had to do. We're sinners. We've come short of perfection. We're not good enough to go to heaven. But we heard the good news of what Christ did for us. He paid for our sins. And all I had to do, all I had to do was something anybody can do. See, we couldn't keep the law, but we can do this. We can believe. You can believe that when Christ died, he died for you. You can believe that. But have you? If you've never done it before, and you say, yes, that made sense to me. And preacher, I want to trust Christ as my Savior right now. Right now, I'm going to do this. And friend, if you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. And I'm going to ask you if you'll just let me know by raising your hand and putting it right back down. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, is there anyone at all say, yes, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Just slip it up very quickly. Put it right back down. Anyone? Yes, God bless you in the back. I saw your hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Just very quickly, just slip it up and say, that made sense to me. I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. You that are in here, yes, God bless you. You that are in here and you already know you have eternal life, you trusted Christ as your Savior, you ought to make sure that when you walk out that door, you reach over there and get some of those heaven tracks. They're free. Pass them out this week. You may plant one of those things in just the right place, and you won't know until you get to heaven, but do what you can. Do what you can. Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for the ones that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as Savior this morning. By doing so, they become your child, your child for all eternity, and that you'll never cast them out and never lose them. And Lord, we're so glad to know that once we've trusted you as Savior, no saved person can ever commit the unpardonable sin because he hath believed. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.